the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into hour two, it is a delight to bring back, uh, I think it's fair to use uh, the appellation, this new friend of mine and ours, this shows, and that is Professor Owen Anderson. Dr. Anderson is a professor at Arizona State University. We were first introduced to him when he was one of only three professors, total of three, one of only three that stood up against a passel of professors numbering about 40 that didn't want Dennis Prager to be at ASU so much so that they put out a public letter calling him a white nationalist. Owen Anderson uh, stood up for um, the rights and uh, and works of uh, the students and the committee that was bringing in, the organization that was bringing um, Dennis Prager and others to school. And uh, it started off a, um, shall we say, ripped off a little bit of a Band-Aid, maybe, or opened up some stitches on the issues of free speech at a public university, particularly ours here at ASU. As Dr. Anderson himself uh, tweeted uh, earlier this month, that censorship is being advocated by some ASU professors. There is a letter being passed around by faculty asking for signatures to stop conversations from speaking on campus. And as Dr. Anderson related to us on this show, I think about this time a week ago, uh, there were uh, further possible sanctions against him uh, for speaking to radio shows like ours. Professor Anderson, long wind-up. I apologize for that, but welcome back. No, well, yeah, thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking to you, Seth. Thank and you. I think that was good to, to be reminded of some of the details of how we got here and, and what ASU is doing right now um, to protect free speech because the event was held at yes. ASU in Gamage, which yes. is where, I mean, that's a big auditorium. Surprisingly, without college. incident, I didn't see anyone having yeah. to run in fear of their lives or their emotions being shaken or stirred. Yeah, I mean, the the, the scariest part might have been when uh, Robert Kiyosaki held up the Communist Manifesto. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, to me, you know, scary to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not but, to oh, the yeah, students. The students recognized that as a textbook, actually. <laughs> I, yeah, I know, yeah. How did he get my textbook? Yeah, how but, did he get all the But uh, that's what he said was, if you want to know your professors, read yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think the uh, the title of the talk was Health, Wealth, and Happiness. That's right. And, and the intended audience was all humans. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, I mean, the, anything problematic about that it would just be silly. But the, the objections were based on evidence taken from media matters yeah. about things that, that uh, Charlie Kirk or Dennis Prager had said and, and were reported on media matters and turned into calling them hateful uh, white nationalist bigots. Yes, that's right. And as a follow up for you standing up and coming on shows like this and Dennis's. Uh, and defending free speech, uh, kind of a boomerang situation eventuated, didn't it, where you were kind of counseled that maybe you shouldn't be doing so much of that, huh? Yeah, well, I've, I've had the support of President Crow the whole time. I mentioned to him some of these appearances, and he told me, uh, thanks for letting me know, and he supports free speech for everyone to have their perspectives uh, uh, presented on campus. And I know ASU has a green light from FIRE, which yeah. is the foundation mm-hmm. for individual rights and expression. Mm-hmm. But then I was, uh, I did mes- mes- mention this to my dean, who said, 
uh, going forward, make sure to get approval from the media office before speaking to media. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was followed up by my the director of my school telling me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so the problem there is that this creates a situation where you're you're no longer permitted to speak as a citizen uh, about <laughs> topics that relate to your employer. Yeah. So there's a long history of yes. laws about this. Right. That, right. No, the First Amendment protects employees as citizens. And, and the idea is that, of course, I can't represent ASU. I'm not their representative uh, to the media, but I've never suggested I am. I'm not yeah. representing them today. And just identifying me as an ASU employee doesn't mean I'm representing them. Uh, it just is to say, who am I and what do I do? That's right. So all that's to say, um, FIRE wrote a letter that they sent ASU yesterday mm-hmm. reminding them about my rights. And I, I, I have no doubt that President Crow will agree about that letter, and, and it'll be good because it goes forward and, and is on record saying you, you can't require professors to run their ideas <laughs> by anybody. That's the whole idea of both tenure and free speech. Yeah, yeah, and to get permission to speak about things that you happen to probably be more expert on in the first place. You, after all, are author of uh, many, many books, in, in, including on um, an expert in areas having to do with with all these things, including philosophy and applied ethics, and certainly, certainly, obviously, the role of academic freedom and intellectual uh, diversity. Yeah, well, my last book with Cambridge University Press was the Cambridge Companion to the First Amendment and That's Religious right. Liberty. That's right. So, and I, I'm guessing yeah. ASU put their name somewhere or on a press release or somewhere uh, on on the back flap of that book. I am sure ASU wanted some identification attached to you somehow, somewhere, yeah, some way. I'm identified in yeah. yeah, I believe I'm identified in there as working at ASU. I mean, yeah. you know, pro- professors publishing with Cambridge is always a good thing for the university. Yes, I would think so. I would think so. But I guess if you're talking to Dennis or me, they want you to clear it first, huh? Well, you know, that's that's part of the problem is that Free speech usually comes up from the dissenting party because yeah, the party sorry. in control, and, and it can change from conservative to repo, to, uh, to liberal. The party in control doesn't really think about it, so right. it doesn't, I'm not necessarily imputing evil motives to right. them. It's just not a worry of theirs. Sometimes they may want to to abuse their power, but sometimes they just might not be thinking about it. So in this case, the dissenting party is the the group that says uh, we should have talks about health, wealth, and happiness, and we need to be able to protect those those voices. Um, the, the letter from Fire was very good. I mean, what they did, because they're a legal organization, is they cited Supreme Court cases. And, and one thing that stood out to me was the Supreme Court ruling that, this is a quote, the most serious and the least tolerable infringement on the freedom of expression is when you require uh, uh, the requirement to get permission. To yeah, prior speak, approval. Prior yeah. restraint. Right, prior speak. restraint or chill. Right. This yeah. is the kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the chill factor. Yeah. yeah. This is the kind of thing. It's interesting uh, where your allies may and may not be on this. By the way, is that fire letter something uh, you're allowed to send me? Or oh, not? yeah. Oh, yeah, please, sure. please yeah. do. Uh, maybe at the break or whenever you have a chance. It's, it's interesting because that idea of prior restraint um, is the first thing that, you know, most liberal slash left members of the journalistic community rely upon and was, of course, the heart of the matter when it came to the famous Pentagon Papers case. And mm. and and the fact that they're just nowhere to be found here as allies. But I'll, I'll bet you this dollar to donuts, Professor, the next time anyone wants to think that maybe a national security secret 
not a public philosophy statement, but a national a piece of classified national security intelligence in wartime gets leaked to one of those papers and someone objects to it based on, you know, federal law. They'll be running to that notion in the Pentagon Papers case and they'll wrap themselves very strongly up in it. There yeah. is a bit of well, a hypocrisy here. Or well, at least a, or at least a freedom for, of speech for me, not freedom of speech for thee attitude. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly right. You and I have talked about how you know everybody agrees you don't have the freedom of speech to incite to violence. Yeah, that's right. And so what what the other side does is they say uh, someone like Dennis Prager is 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 being violent towards students yes. by suggesting his maybe speech the is violence. Is they just change the words yeah. of these nouns, don't they? They just change the yeah. meaning of these yeah. nouns. Yes. Yeah. So that's you mentioned the chill factor yes, already, right. the chilling effect. Right. And so that's what the letter defend is that. We especially have to allow for protected speech among people who are dissenting. Of course. Because those are the ones who need the protection. Yeah, right? what, yeah, the yeah. I mean, this is so You're obvious, it's, it's odd that we have to restate these things. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think the and, – and, and the thing is that so far I've been very complimentary to ASU – uh, because ASU does have a green light from yep. fire, and they did support yep. this event. I mean, the yep. event happened at ASU. Yep. It had fifteen hundred people in the auditorium, and I think they're at, right now twenty two thousand have seen it online. Yeah. ASU has got to like twenty two thousand people watching a YouTube video of an event at ASU. Those forty professors don't. How many was it? I, I saw one number was thirty seven, and then there was another well, later number. I think. Yeah, there's thirty. There's forty seven in the college. Okay. Thirty seven of that college signed it. But remember, that's a small college at right. ASU. Right. The general sentiment would be supported by many, many professors sure. at ASU that, yeah. that we shouldn't permit these speakers on campus. And and I've been having debates online as well with people saying, you know, how can you support Charlie Kirk? Yes, and, of course. And I, I immediately point out, but well, there... <laughs> I actually thought Charlie Kirk did really well that night, yeah. but I'm not defending a specific speaker. I'm defending the right for everybody. Yes, especially it would be odd for someone who has a very large multi-campus, multi-state organization dedicated to college students being prevented from appearing at ASU. But you make a good point there. How, how, I wouldn't even know how to begin to count how many faculty members there are at the entirety of ASU. I'm going to guess probably 4,000 or more, I'm guessing. I mean, it's Yeah, a, I, think it's, I think it's north of that. Okay. Actually, yeah, but it's definitely thousands, thousands yeah. and they found three. I think faculty and staff might be around 12,000. <laughs> and they found three, so, three yeah, or you found yourselves three. One, you're one of them. Three who thought, you know what? We shouldn't be silencing them and calling people like Dennis Prager epithets that are, are not only insulting but untrue. Um, I wanted to talk to you too. If there's anything more on this on the other side of this break, certainly. But I also wanted to talk to you about some other interesting things you're writing. You started a Substack page, and I, I find this really interesting. Your most recent piece. Can we talk a little bit about some of what you're writing up? Yeah, that'd be great. I was actually going to bring that up. Oh, myself. good. I'm glad. I'm so like minds. Dr. Owen Anderson from ASU is our guest, not representing ASU. It's just where he happens to teach. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Professor Owen Anderson from ASU is our guest. We're talking about uh, – we were talking about um, his issues um, involving free speech and normative absolutes and rights. 
uh, on the college campus and at ASU. But I also wanted to alert you to um, something he recently started, which is a, a Substack page. Uh, and it's Dr. A's subject, Substack page. He is Owen Anderson. It's called Dr. A's Substack. You can find it online uh, however you like. And I was uh, curious about this most recent posting of yours, Professor, the Social Justice MA program at ASU West. Uh, feel free to go into that or, or yeah. any anything you'd like. Yeah, what I'm doing with my Substack, and, and I hope your listeners will will come over and read these articles is because I, I want people to just to be aware of what kinds of events and programs is ASU West putting on. If these these 37 or even more faculty were, were so concerned about the political perspectives of Charlie Kirk or Dennis Prager, um, well, what about all these other events, which one, one would probably label being from the far left side of the spectrum? Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially because I often have, I work with a lot of charter schools in the Valley, and I I get questions from parents about, is ASU a good place to send our children? Mm -hmm. And so I think especially parents of potential students will want to know, what does it mean to to get a decolonizing education, Mm -hmm. for example? So in this case, yeah, I mentioned mentioned that we've got a a whole master's degree program committed to social justice. And and those are two, I mean, social justice as a phrase, that just sounds great. Mm -hmm. And you and I talked before about how the, the tactic will be to take very positive terms like love mm-hmm. or justice mm-hmm. and give them new meaning. Mm-hmm. So social justice, I think everyone is aware by now, is is a code for, for far left-wing politics. And so imagine, what I asked in my subsect was, imagine if, if you had a master's degree at ASU in Roman Catholic social philosophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, people would, people would be upset and say, this is not the place for that. They have uh, private schools, they can do that. But nevertheless, we have this far left-wing uh, master's degree program teaching teaching radical ideology. One might say Marxist and Freudian religion. In fact, you do say that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would label it, because I think, I think the, uh, you know, Marx and Freud are both uh, pseudoscientists. They're not actually scientific, but they, they gather a kind of religious following, and, and we see that both in terms of the way that racial and, and uh, class warfare is encouraged by Marxism. And then also, you know, now in the news most often is the Freudian sexual religion about how we develop our sexual identity. Yeah, that's right, Uh, which really goes into, you know, I think a field of yours and the expertise of yours in some respects, asking ourselves not only about what are self-evident rights, but what is the natural law? And and, and you've written a lot of books on this, and it it seems precious few people still want to uphold them. But before we get to that, that's a complicated issue. We've done some of it together, and I've very much enjoyed that. Before we get to that, let's talk about these qualifiers, like social justice. Um, you would be, a, as a philosophy professor, an expert in training students to walk through the various, I don't know, diagrams and the various attitudes about how to define justice, the various theories of how to define justice, all the way from, I don't know what, Bible and the Plato to John Rawls or whatever. But yeah, but um, but it seems to me when you put a qualifier in front of some of these very important words like justice— social justice, or uh, truth, truth. This has been my pet peeve for some years, where we seem to need to put a personal pronoun in front of truth. And it's an odd thing when we say my truth. It's a really odd thing. Because, you know, in a weird way, it's a confession when someone uses that phrase. It's a confession of them saying, I understand there's something called truth. I'm giving you alternative. It's a weird confession that seems to, however, in that confession— be more important and trump 
the self-evident or naturally known yeah. truth. It's a very yeah, weird thing. The I is more important than everything else, the, the, the personal pronoun. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I spent some time in my epistemology section on this exact point. Oh, good. Epistemology is the, the branch of philosophy that asks, how do I know anything? Yeah. And when a person says, that's my truth, it's really just like saying, I believe it to be true. That, that, and that's right. sort of, we don't, we don't really have to remind each other of that. Like if I tell you, you know, the, the Yankees are the best baseball team ever, I don't have to add in, and I think that's true, mm-hmm. because by saying it, that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, so it's an odd thing. It's sort of like, yeah, I know you think that. Now here's my argument to show you why the Red Sox are better. Those are and, also, but those are also opinions. I mean, those are legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Those are legitimate yeah. opinions. The people. You're who, right. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have no, 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 no. It's. it's, it's, it's I'm glad you do it because it's, it's, it's a good illustration. Yeah. No, it's a good yeah. illustration. But the people who are more want to use the phraseology like "my truth," they seem to use it in things of extreme import. Um, yeah. Right. That that should not yield to an opinion. Um, they that right. that 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 it is a it, it is a certitude by virtue of yep. the fact that. Y- that an individual is claiming it. Um, it's, it's, well, that's the Freudian yeah. part, I think, of, yeah. of the of the making the ego the center. Yeah. And whatever I think is my reality, it is the truth of the nature of things. And so it's a, it's, a, it's an extreme form of existentialism right. as well. Right. Where I make my own meaning right. rather than I discover the meaning that's in the world. And and my fear is that we've lost the skill of critical inquiry, even though we use phrases like critical theory. They're not actually teaching critical thinking at all, and instead we're just uh, asserting things that we believe and not knowing how to question them. The problem then becomes I don't know how we deal with real and important issues, uh, strong issues, if you will. Human rights, uh, violence, uh, good regimes, bad regimes, evil, not evil, who should be an ally – um, in matters of, let's say, foreign relations or international relations, because we no longer have the one thing that we kind of thought was the one thing we did have that made us all equal and human, yep. which was the same vocabulary and the willing and the ability to not only communicate amongst ourselves but to see things the same way, common objects. Right. Yeah. Well, I was actually talking to Robert Kiyosaki earlier today, and he asked me a very similar question. You know, what do we do about this? Mm-hmm. People don't have the skill to think through. And, and I think what has to be, what we have to do is remind each other that we do have common ground on reason. And if we abandon that, then we no longer have common ground. Mm-hmm. And so if we're no longer able to come together and affirm the laws of thought and the laws of inferences, then we aren't able to think together anymore. I have in mind a clip, an audio clip from maybe a video or audio clip from maybe about a year and a half ago where some kind of 19-year-old college student gave Vice President Kamala Harris a lecture on foreign policy that was so absent of fact it was embarrassing, I would think, to the college Mm -hmm. as much as to anyone else. And the best Kamala Harris could say was, I think it's important that you spoke your truth. Now, it seems to me, it seems to me that the entire purpose of education, particularly higher education, going to a college in the first place, is not for the students to teach professors and vice presidents things, but maybe to learn from people who might know something more than they. But that's been thrown yeah. out the window. Can I take a break and have you address yourself to that when we come right back? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a it's a, almost a radical. It's 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 a it's a it's a very radical version of not trusting anyone over thirty, but more so investing the trust of people who really 
don't know how much they don't know, um, which is the beginning of the study of philosophy in the first place. All right. Owen Anderson will be right back with us. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have Professor Owen Anderson with us, uh, professor at ASU in um, in their uh, School of Humanities. He is the author of many books, uh, including The Declaration of Independence and God and The Natural Moral Law. What was the name of your book on free speech, Professor? Um, I was I was one of the editors of the Cambridge Companion oh, to the First Amendment and Religious Liberty. Fantastic. Thank so you. So that's a, that's a great selection yeah. of Essays by leading scholars on the First Amendment. Something we could use uh, a lot right now. Uh, I was talking to you about this interesting phenomenon of people in their younger years, freshmen, sophomores, particularly at colleges. I, I suppose it goes down even further, but I've been finding the phenomenon more and more on the college campus, um, who are who are who are so certain. Of 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 the things they have to say under the guise and under the prophylactic of the notion of my truth, and a lot of adults who are granting them that. I gave you the example of the vice president telling a student, "It's important that you spoke your truth." It's not um, because somehow, somewhere, some way, we do have to admit, don't 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 we, that the school experience at any level really is about learning things you don't know, not being yeah. certain uh, that you need to be paying tuition, not being so certain of the things you do know that you want to be paying tuition to teach the teachers. There's something weird and upside down about some of this. Yeah, well, I mean, and there's actually talk about that in the academics, the university level, about learning from your students. Right. And, and there's a way of saying that generously. I mean, I've learned a lot of things. Of course, of course. That's not what we're talking about, saying. right. Yeah, this is more like I'm going to, I'm one of that 40 students. Right. I, there's 41 of us. Right. We're all going through this together. Right. Um, and so it ties in, though, I think, with you were asking about this master's program mm -hmm. in social mm -hmm. justice. Mm -hmm. It ties in, I think, very closely to the idea of just going to school to learn to be an activist. So in other words, you, you yes. show up at university, yes. you've got certain values, like uh, you know, maybe you want to you, you want to work on body autonomy. That's really important to you. And so then you get trained about how to just be an activist, but you're not trained to question those, those guys and say, hey, maybe maybe you're mistaken about your understanding of body autonomy uh, or you're mistaken about your ideas on gender. Here, here are some philosophers who would disagree with you. You should read them and, and think about their argument. This is more like just taking it for granted. Okay, you have your truth. Now I'm going to teach you how to be an activist. Something about that effort seems to collapse the distinction between fact and opinion or truth and opinion, you know about the fact-value distinction. That's something yeah. a little bit different than what I'm talking about. But the idea that there is a certain opinion so strong, so strongly held, that people have such certainty about it that it is supposed to be considered fact and truth, and that is the weapon they use or the intellectual trick they use to say that the kinds of things you may think or believe or that Dennis may think or believe have no place on the university. It's anti-science. It's anti-fact, if you will, when all it is is a student's opinion that has been converted into a leveling of the playing field of uh, a cleansed opinion marketplace so that it is now considered the only plane on which you can operate, and it is now truth. It's a very, very, very tyrannical model and notion. It's operational, though, it seems to me. 
Yeah, well, again, I think, and I said earlier, it's a kind of, you know, coming out of the Freudian religion and, yeah. and through existentialism, yeah. saying, I determine my own meaning. Right. And really, one translation of that is to say, I'm my own God. Yeah. That's it. Well, uh, yes, yes, that's right. The second oldest faith, uh, Whitaker Chambers called that, right? We shall be as gods, yeah. right? <laughs> Does that sound familiar to yeah, you a little bit? Oh, yeah, and that's, I think that's straight out of yeah, Genesis chapter 3. And, yeah. And that is that God doesn't determine the genders, you do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So all of this really, when it comes back to it, you're really probably the best and the most perfectly apt professor walking around these days uh, in Tempe or on our college campus, because that's what we're now having to fight. What is a hum- We're not debating human rights anymore. We're not debating good and evil anymore. We're actually debating what is a human in the firmament of life. We're actually debating whether there is a distinction between God, human, and animal. Yep. Yeah, we are. I think that's right. We, we're no longer able to recognize... Well, you used to be a kindergarten. That's one of the first <laughs> things you figure out. Who's the boys? Who's the girls? <laughs> yes, right. And now you'll have, you know, advanced legal theorists don't know what that is because they're not biologists. Yeah, some of them are on the Supreme so, Court. Yeah. So so we're, we're, we're at a point in where very basic things aren't known anymore, and, and that doesn't seem to mean that you're doing better as a society. It seems to be doing much, much worse. Yeah. Are we kinder to each other? Are we doing better as a society? Are we advancing? Uh, are we having less mental health problems? Are we having less youth mental health problems? Or are youth less confused than ever before? I think the answer to all those questions is no. Professor Owen Anderson, you're a gem. Thank you for being with us. It was great to join you today. We'll talk to you later. As always, keep us updated. I'm Seth Liebson, 602 Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. In his recent State of the Union speech last month, Joe Biden doubled down on his spending plans, even adding more to the federal deficit. That doesn't bode well for the value of your money. Biden's disconnected view of the economy means there will be no meaningful steps taking a lesson inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold from the only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka. I and thousands of you already know the Midas Gold Group. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Don't let Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. That's MidasGoldGroup.com on the web, MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. 480-360-3000. It's gold. You can hold. I was uh, torn between which issue to cover here. Uh, another uh, finding of another disinformation board uh, that the State Department was funding. <coughs> Excuse me. This, of course, is uh, a disinformation board. The State Department was funding that. You know what? Censored. Only conservative and libertarian websites as giving out unfactual information. Again, that collapse and that confusion between truth – excuse me. Yeah, truth and fact on one side and opinion and ideology on the other. That is the quest here. That is the quest behind the censors' moves in all these areas. That is the quest to shout someone down or, or shut someone up with the label of racist, uh, with the label of white supremacist or white nationalist uh, or the black face of white supremacy. All these phrases of extreme important or at least formerly extremely important 
um, syntactical power, puissance. These were powerful words once upon a time. Uh, racist, uh, white nationalist, white supremacist. And now, like Amazon's quest to get employees to show up at the office three days a week, and that being called a violation of a commitment to diversity and equity, these things have been so watered down and so uh, neutered and denuded of the import of their meaning that it's a crime not just on the language. It's a crime on human rights, really. It's a crime on civil rights. Uh, because we have so watered down the things Martin Luther King would have fought for, the civil rights movement generally fought for, or the kinds of things that used to revolt us when we would study uh, human rights violations, whether it was the killing fields or whether it was the Holocaust or whether it was Darfur, you name it, and it's all put on the plane of listening to – same moral plane as listening to a talk by Dennis Prager – or the Amazon CEO asking that you show up to work for three days a week when uh, you used to have to show up at work five days a week, at least until two years ago. Uh, this, 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 is the, this is the trick or the, um, the clang that shuts down that kind of thing to, to, to maintain an absolute control of ideology without any wisp or whisper of dissenting notion. And, you know, as Jonathan Turley, law professor at Georgetown, was saying earlier on Fox today, he helped discover what the State Department was doing with the National Endowment for Democracy and funding another disin, uh, disinformation index monitoring group. So it's interesting. You know, the minute we finally shut one down, as we did in the Department of Homeland Security that was trying to engage in this kind of behavior when it came to conservative sites, the minute we shut one down, you know, he said it was like whack-a-mole. We find another one, as we just did. Now, let me put in a word for the importance of having an equal space for vyingly different opinions, for different opinions competing for the minds of humans and for debate. The point of which is to take these various opinions, see which make more sense, see which comport most with common sense or science, if you want to use that word, see which most uh, comport with where we are in the constellation of our constitution or the constellation of our universe to deploy into public policy. That's the point of it. That is the point of debate. That is the point of speech. That is the point of freedom of the press so that we can ultimately make good choices about how we want to govern ourselves and comport our laws, constitute our laws. And when you silence that out of a certitude of ideology, look at what you wrought. Look at what you did. You silenced people like Ioannidis. You silenced people like Atlas. You si silenced people like Bhattacharya. You silenced people like the great Barrington doctors. You silenced people like Heather MacDonald and Dennis Prager and myself and Hugh Hallman will be with us a little later in discussing the, and trying to point out that, you know what, I, this, this Fauci stuff doesn't make sense. The shutdown stuff and lockdown su stuff doesn't make sense. The data does not support what you're saying when it comes to masks, when it comes to vaccines, when, you're when it comes to infection, uh, infection fatality rates. And son of a you-know-what gun, I'll say that, son of a gun, <laughs> look at what we are now finding out. Look at what we are not finding out. We are now finding out. Not not the veracity of the things we were saying as dissenters, 
but the tremendous social wreckage that all those wrong decisions have wrought. 250,000 missing students, a massive rise in mental health disparities, a massive rise in educational decline, a massive rise in suicide and suicide ideation, a massive rise in everything we used to do everything we could to protect against. All of that resultant from the failure to allow a dissenting voice because very clearly those def- that those dissenting voices were shut down and shut up in the purpose of a narrative for the purpose of a narrative that had a political element to it. And the same thing, by the way, with the Hunter Biden laptop story. It changed the censorship of it changed an election. It changed an election that has been demonstrated by at least two exit polls. It changed voters minds, or at least it would have changed voters minds if it weren't censored because you wanted the result. They wanted the result. And anyone who brought it up was peddling in what it might not have been racism at that point. It may not have been white nationalism, nationalism at that point. But what was it considered? What was the clang word there? What was the shibboleth? Russian disinformation campaign. Russian disinformation campaign. These are artifices used to wreck and ruin the First Amendment. But more importantly, they are artifices that will wreck and ruin our country. And they already have gone a long way in doing so. Um, I keep trying to uh, get into this discussion I had. I'll I'll do it in a minute when we come back from the break uh, about Ukraine, which I think is just so very interesting. And the way the conservative movement is looking at it. And I think I think I think it really requires a moment of stepping back and, and looking at both arguments in the conservative movement. There's. A bunch of conservatives who are much more supportive of defense of Ukraine and a bunch of conservatives, obviously you well know, you may be among them or even the majority of them, who think that it is misguided how much energy uh, and treasure we are spending on it. And I think it's really important we understand where we are because it goes not only to our domestic policies and foreign affairs, but it goes to the future of really Western civilization when you think about what the stakes are at this point. Um, all of which, all of which fall on the responsibility and shoulders of President Biden, who bungled us and lied us into this in the first place. We'll be right back. You've all been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now. If you still have some questions to invest with them, feel free to contact them. They would like you to because they'd happily put you in touch with any number of very happy and satisfied clients of theirs in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done very very well. Their number is 888-YREFI-34. They also want you to think about your IRA. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? Did you know you can invest with YREFI through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. I think we're entering into an interesting debate that we're going to have as a conservative movement with regard to what's taking place in Ukraine in Ukraine, and our relationship and um, help or not with it, uh, highlighted by Joe Biden's uh, visit there uh, over the last two days. And I was having a good conversation with a friend who was kind of taking in some of what Hugh Hewitt was saying this morning, some of what Mike Gallagher and others were saying this morning. And I think we have to 
understand first and foremost that Donald Trump was absolutely right when he told Hugh Hewitt a couple weeks ago that if he were president, Putin wouldn't have done this. Joe Biden, the weak trumpet that he is, signaled what our foreign policy posture would be uh, loudly and clearly in the in, in two things. One it was the withdrawal from Afghanistan that he called an extraordinary success, a withdrawal that cost more American soldiers lives than the thing we all universally recognize as one of the worst moments in our foreign and defense policy, which was the withdrawal of Saigon in 1975. He called it an extraordinary success. And the other was the the talk he gave, the talks he kept giving on how tough the sanctions would be, crushing, crushing sanctions, and his slips about tolerating minor incursions. There's no question but that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin take the measure of this country by the measure and strength of the leadership of our president. And, you know, weak trumpet is probably too strong a word for his leadership. Even his appearance and speech yesterday and today in Europe was not exactly what you would look at and say, well, there's a proud, strong American president. Putin and Xi Jinping are going to run all over us, and he got us here. And we have to understand the stakes we are in now. Um, we have to understand that what they will do if we do of a sudden withdraw from Ukraine. We have to understand what it will mean for Poland, what it will mean for Taiwan. That's one thing. And I'll bet you this, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this. We can talk more about this. You tell me if I'm wrong about this. If Biden cared a tenth of a percent of what he does seemingly with Ukraine about our own country and its border problem, we probably wouldn't have this debate. If he cared a tenth of a percent about things like East Palestine and we didn't have the illegal immigration problem or any number of other problems he is turning a deaf ear and a cold eye and a blind eye to, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But he got us here, and I think we are on the precipice of such a dangerous situation, it rivals the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I think we need to look at it from all angles very, very seriously, but mostly about American leadership. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.